Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Welcome to episode 98 of Growth Marketing Today. I'm your host, Ramley John. Today, we're going to be talking about how HubSpot went from 4.1 million unique monthly visitors to 6.3 million visitors to their blog in less than 10 months. I'm going to be talking to Asia Frost. She is now the head of content SEO at HubSpot. Now, for a year and a half, there was flat traffic at HubSpot. And then Asia implemented this new organic first strategy that catapulted HubSpot's blog, like I said, from 4.1 to 6.3 million monthly visitors in 10 months. That's really amazing. So in this episode, I really dig deep. Like Asia goes down into the weeds and share exactly what she does as far as keyword research, the strategy that she pulled off, how they optimize old blog posts. This is going to be loaded with information and knowledge. In this episode, you're going to learn exactly what they did to go that get that result in 10 months. Second, why HubSpot only publishes four main buckets of content. That's interesting. And third, how they approach deleting, merging, and updating old content. Now, with this episode being so packed with, with value and resource and tips about content and SEO and driving traffic to your site, I've put together all the tips in a one-page PDF so you don't have to take notes. You can just steal mine you can get that to, at growthtoday.fm forward slash 98 or find that link in the description. Go ahead, just get it. I, I There's so much value in this. I promise you that you will find something that you can take away and, and bring to your company. I also want to thank the people who made this episode possible. Now, this sponsor helped cover the cost of hosting and marketing tools so I can focus on getting amazing experts that you and I can learn from. I just want to thank the sponsor for this episode, Superside, built for marketing, creative, product design, and strategy teams. Superside makes it easy to bring your ideas to life. With a dedicated team assigned to all subscription customers, Superside delivers game-changing design at lightning-fast speeds with no pricing surprises. Create an account and get started, or better yet, book a demo to see it in action at superside.com. You can also find the link in the description of this episode. Well, enough about me. Let's jump into my chat with Asia. Hey everybody, I'm excited to have Asia here. She is the head of content SEO at HubSpot. I actually came across her on Twitter, which I funny enough, I get most of my most of my guests. How, how's your Friday going? How are things with you? Yeah, things are things are looking good. I mean, you're asking me on a Friday, so you're bound to get a good answer. Like if you tried Tuesday, I might sound a little less uh, cheery right now. Oh, shoot. But, you know, as we were talking about before you hit record, it's sunny in both of our respective mm. locations. We both have patio furniture <laughs> and a lawn chair, respectively, to sit outside and enjoy the beautiful weather. Um, so, you know, things things could be worse. Yeah, no, that's true, right? Anyway, I, I'm excited to talk about content and SEO. That seems That's definitely your jam, right? But before we do... I'd love to hear your story first. How, how did you get to become head of content SEO at, at HubSpot? I have kind of a weird path, which I think most people in SEO do. Um, I was talking about this with someone yesterday and we're like, no one really sits down when they're little and says, I want to be an SEO. <laughs> um, I didn't even know what SEO was yeah. for uh, a, a good portion of my adult life. When I was in college, I started freelance writing um, on the side because I wanted a way to 
defray some of the costs of tuition. Um, and that actually ended up being very successful for me. Um, I got a lot of clients. I was able to completely cover the cost of college and then some, and was able to turn it into a thriving business. Um, when I graduated, I thought, okay, I could keep doing this freelancing thing, but I feel like I've gotten a pretty good handle on it. I don't know how much more I can personally grow uh, if I kind of keep doing the same thing. Or I could try to learn a lot more about content marketing. I thought the second was more interesting. So, you know, who do you go to to learn about content marketing and blogging? You go to HubSpot. Um, I joined their team as a blogger. Uh, did about a year and 10 months on the blogging team, first as a writer, then as an editor. And uh, I was spending a lot of time with our SEO team, just trying to soak up all their knowledge. They were always running the coolest experiments. They had the most interesting strategies. Um, and, and I was taking a lot of what I was learning from them back to the blog. Those strategies were really successful, even though it was kind of a one-person team executing on them. Um, so when an opportunity opened up to have someone on the SEO team apply those strategies on a mass scale for all of our blogs, I kind of leapt at the opportunity. Um, and now here I am. Cool. Yeah, I want to talk about that. I, I read in your bio, in 2018, the HubSpot blog organic traffic went from 4 million to each month to 6 million plus in about 10 months. This sounds like it was after a year and a half where, you know, traffic was completely flat. What was your magic? <laughs> what did you do? Like what, what was your <laughs> content strategy that you just talked about and, and what, what happened? I mean, I, I have to give credit where credit is due. Um, right before I joined the SEO team, my boss, Matt House Barbie had just implemented this brand new framework on the blog called the topic cluster framework which is uh, many SEOs know it as the content hub approach or content silos. It's, it's an organizational strategy that's designed to help you build topical authority around uh, ideas that are really key to your business. So he put that in place. And I think that that definitely helped because it gave me kind of a, uh, a strategy to roll out. I had to figure out what those topic clusters were that were going to drive the most qualified traffic to HubSpot. Um, and we had started out, ironically, as an SEO software company. So SEO was in the company's DNA. As the company had gotten bigger and bigger and the content production team had become a different team from the SEO strategy team, those lines of communication had lapsed. And even though we had some of the best bloggers uh, you know, around and some of the best SEOs around, they weren't communicating. So we, we had a great editorial strategy for the blog. We didn't have a great SEO strategy for the blog. So I was kind of able to speak the blogger's language since I just came from the <laughs> blogging team. You know, yeah. I knew exactly <laughs> what they cared about, how they wanted yeah. to work. And I was able to say, okay, like, you know, I'm going to take these technical insights that I'm getting from my team. I'm going to translate them into strategies that the blogging team can understand and care about. And together, we're going to conquer the SERPs. We're going to systematically target all of these really relevant, high intent keywords. Mm. Um, and yeah, that, that strategy was really successful. Um, 
and continues to be really successful. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I want to talk a little bit about that. One of the things that one of the big misconceptions about content is that, you know, you just have to just have to put more content out there and, you know, just keep creating, publish three, four times a week, maybe even more. And you actually call this the content treadmill. Yeah. What what is it exactly? And you know, now you're in both worlds. You're you you have strong content, and then now you're like you bridge over to the SEO side. Why is this so harmful? And what is this content treadmill exactly? I was on the content treadmill. We at HubSpot were on the content treadmill for years, and and that's when you speak to that year and a half of flat traffic. That's when we're on the treadmill because. Um, I, I can tell you exactly kind of how it crystallized at HubSpot. Um, we had monthly traffic goals and uh, we always were like fairly close to hitting them, but it was a little bit touch and go. Um, so, you know, maybe third week of the month, my boss would say, okay, we really need to get to X number. Like, let's write something that we know will do really well on Facebook and social um, and email so that we can hit that number. And so we would, you know, reach into our bag of tricks. I was writing for the sales blog at the time. So sales email subject lines was something that we knew would always perform really well in the short term. So I would write an article about sales email subject lines. And it would get that that burst of traffic and that burst of traffic would be enough to get us to hit our number. Um, the problem comes, you keep doing that every single month. You're not building sustainable traffic. You're kind of just recycling concepts and shifting traffic around from month to month. And then a year and a half later, you have 25 articles on sales email subject lines. You've completely exhausted all there is to say about sales email subject lines and your traffic looks exactly the same. So you've been running on the treadmill. You, you've been putting in a lot of work, but you haven't gone anywhere. That is interesting. So like there would be a huge spike and then it would kind of bottom out and it's like, oh, what do we do now? So we write up, you write about something related to it and you get another spike and then it kind of bottom bottoms out again. How do you get, how do you get out of this content treadmill then? Like you, you're already starting to allude to that where, you know, the traffic was flat. How can people get out of that content treadmill? I think, well, what we did, we had the, the topic cluster framework. So we were able to, uh, I went through all of our, newly created topic clusters and identified the ones that we were super saturated on. So sales email subject lines, while that's a topic that is relevant to our audience of salespeople and sales leaders, we didn't need any more content on. Like that one was good for infinity. Um, but something like territory mapping, uh, also a very relevant concept, we had very few blog posts on because content on territory mapping doesn't do well on email. It doesn't do well on social. So we would never use it to like get that, um, you know, kind of quick injection of traffic. Um, so I think the, the general process would be if you're, if this sounds familiar and you're thinking, okay, I need to do this too, map out all the content that you have, group it into, uh, you know, as specific as categories as you can, the more specific, the better. And then, just write, uh, you know, note, okay, saturated, um, empty, you know, like medium. Uh, and what we did is I just started with the topic clusters that were in that sweet spot of very relevant to our audience, but didn't have anywhere near enough content. 
started doing keyword research for those and mapping out which blog posts we needed uh, and, and filling those as quickly as possible. So it turns out we had a ton of green space, which is why we're able to increase traffic so quickly. All of a sudden, we went from targeting, you know, maybe five net new keywords a month unintentionally to tackling or targeting, you know, 60 or 70 net new keywords a month very intentionally. Can you can you dig a little bit deeper into that keyword research? Should you talk about how do you do keyword research? Because I talked to different SEO folks and everybody does it slightly differently. What's your what's your take on that? Our keyword research process has definitely evolved over time. Um, so in the beginning, I was doing the keyword research uh, for everything. And then I actually handed over the process to Braden Becker, who is on the content SEO team. Um, and he's done some really cool things. You know, he's kind of, he, he's working on a tool right now that lets you compare uh, four or five different keywords. And it'll tell you, depending on how much overlap there is on the SERPs, whether you need to target those keywords with five different pages, four different pages, three, two. Yeah, because we used to do this thing. Um, part of my keyword research process was I would find two keywords where I'd say, okay, these could potentially be targeted together in one post because they're pretty similar uh, thematically. Um, or we could we might have a better success of ranking for both if we split them up between two posts. And um, so we would compare the SERPs. And my rule was always, if there are three or more results in common from SERP A to SERP B, that tells you that the, the keywords are close enough contextually that you should create one piece of content. Um, I've kind of gone on a, a tangent here, but... Yeah, Braden is building a tool that will automate that. So super cool. He's taken what I did to new levels. Um, but the general process that I use is uh, very much hinged on uh, content gap analysis. Um, I found that the, the content gap analysis is just the quickest, most effective way to surface all the relevant opportunities in a particular keyword landscape. So... After I've identified a topic cluster that needs more content or needs to be revamped, then I will find at least 10 websites that publish a lot of content on that topic. Mm. So let's say you know, you're, you're doing this for um, a pool construction company. You might find 10 different blogs that all talk about pool design. Uh, I'm sure they're out there. Um, <laughs> and I'm obviously very clearly focused on summer right now. Yeah, I know. It's like you're thinking about pool at this moment. It's like, I got to get to the pool this weekend. <laughs> I know, I know. I wish that I was calling a pool construction company. Um, anyways, so you would find 10 different blogs on pool design. You put them into a content gap analysis. Ahrefs and SEMrush uh, both have this within their tool. It's a pretty common feature of keyword research tools. And then they're going to show you um, all the keywords kind of in that keyword landscape that you might want to target within your pool design topic cluster. When we come back in just a moment, Asia explains what are the four main buckets of content that HubSpot publishes and why they only publish content in those buckets. 
Just a quick thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Superside. As marketers, getting on brand design and creative exactly when your team needs it can be very painful. I know that firsthand working for marketing teams, it's hard to deliver on the seemingly endless number of requests that come in from teams across your company and prioritizing those tasks can feel impossible. Instead of spending your time and resources on strategic projects that can possibly impact the business, you find yourself mired in production level tasks. Your agency may be failing you with skyrocketing costs and late turnarounds, while finding and managing freelancers is no longer a realistic option. There's just too many variables to manage from sourcing to schedules, fees to overall quality of the delivered designs. Don't sweat it, just superside it. With superside.com, you get a dedicated design team that understands your goals and gets trained on your brand guidelines for the fraction of hiring a full-time designer. Your superside design team acts as an extension of your organization, helping you to service your requests at volume and deliver on your company's design and creative needs in a scalable, efficient way. They'll confidently jump in at a moment's notice to produce the on-brand work you need when you need it. Create an account and get started, or better yet, book a demo to see it in action at superside.com, or you can find that link in the description of this episode. I also want to remind you that I put together all the actionable tips from this episode in a one-page PDF that I call a growth cheat sheet. Why take notes when you can just steal mine? Go to growtoday.fm forward slash 98 or find that link in the description to download this free resource. Well, enough about me. Let's jump back into my chat with Asia. Oh, that's good. Thank you for sharing that. I, I love it when people go into the weeds like that. I think a lot of listeners would really appreciate that. One of the other things you suggested when we were chatting about what topic you want to discuss is that you actually only focus on four main buckets of content that you look at at, at HubSpot and anything outside of the bucket, you're like, no, we're not doing this. What are, what are those four main buckets? And you know, why don't you post anything that doesn't fit into these four buckets. Um, and I, I'll say the buckets in order from most used or most common to least common, so, because they're not all equal. Uh, so the first category, the most common category is lead gen content. And that's content that ties directly to a content offer that our leads optimization team has developed. So most people know these as eBooks or webinars or you know downloadable kits. Um, and all the CTAs on lead gen content are aimed at generating leads. Uh, probably not surprising. Then user gen content, uh, this ties directly to a product or a service that we offer. So it's going to be very high intent. Um, like we published a post on how to switch CRMs and all the CTAs <laughs> on that post lead to our free CRM. Um, there are a lot fewer uh, lead gen posts than, or sorry, there are far fewer user gen posts than lead gen posts because there are fewer keywords that kind of sit at that intersection between educational and transactional. Then we have link gen content, which is thought leadership. Um, it's relevant to our audience, but we're trying to provide a fresh perspective or say something interesting. The ultimate goal is to get links, which makes us more competitive in search overall. Um, we again do less of this because it doesn't have that like uh, you know bottom line revenue connection that the other two buckets do. And then finally, partnership gen is a new category that we're experimenting with, and it's aimed at attracting new partners into the HubSpot ecosystem 
or kind of sending some virtual love to our current partners. Um, so for example, we have a WordPress plugin. Uh, and so we've been partnering with a lot of WordPress theme developers. So they'll include the HubSpot plugin into their WordPress theme. So we might uh, publish a post that'll be, you know, best WordPress themes. And in this roundup, we'll include some of our, uh, you know, potential partners as well as some of our current partners. And so that just strengthens those relationships. And I'm curious, you know, thank thanks for sharing that. I, I'm, and once again, thanks for details like that. My listeners love like, I'm curious then why you don't post anything that doesn't fit into those four buckets. Like, I think because if it doesn't fit into one of those four buckets, I don't want to say it's pointless, mm. but we've identified those buckets. I mean, they're really four goals that we want to achieve. Right. We want to generate leads. We want to generate lose, losers. <laughs> users. <laughs> leads and users. Losers. Um, we want to generate links and we want to generate partners. So if the content doesn't map to one of our overarching goals, it's not the best use of our time, energy, or resources. Ah, so that makes sense. You're, it's tied to specifically your goals. Uh, so like if you're creating content, you're trying to get more links, you do that. That what my question now is, you know, how do you know how do you figure out which mix of the different four buckets you do? I mean, I'm guessing it depends on the, the goal for the team for that month, but is that it? Is that how you figure out like we need 40% of Legion content and 30%. I'm just making this up now, but like, how do you figure out like the percentage for each bucket? No, really, really insightful question because this is something that we've struggled a lot with internally. Um, just getting that balance, right. Ultimately different teams own different goals, but we have one team creating all the content. So there's a pretty, um, strict or, or fixed amount of content they can produce. Mm. So how does that pie get, you know, carved up so everyone feels happy with their slice? And I think we started with the goals that were the most established and really required the blog uh, for that team to hit. Like our, our lead gen or our lead optimization team really leans on the blog to hit their lead mm. gen goals. So they should absolutely get priority. User gen, we have other avenues for generating users. So that should probably have a, a smaller slice of the pie. Mm. Um, same thing with link gen and definitely with partnership gen. That's like very, you know, lowest priority of all. Um, but what we do is at the start of every quarter, then we set a ratio. Like we uh. want to publish 60% X, 20% Y, 10%, you get the gist. And then at the end of the quarter, we like review with the teams, how did that go? Mm, that totally makes sense. You, you, part of your quarterly planning would be like trying to figure out the content mix that you're, you're going you're gonna to implement for that quarter. And we try to keep it fairly static, but if there are small adjustments that we need to make quarter to quarter, then we definitely will. Or if like goals are more ambitious for, you know, one team, one quarter, you might slightly accommodate that. Mm, that totally makes sense. I want to shift gears and and I didn't notice like a guest guest post uh, section there. Do yeah. you recommend companies still guest posts? And you know we were just chatting about this about something came up with with SM Rush where they were uh, called out on Twitter for selling selling guest post spots on their blog. And I think somebody from from Google team was like, "Uh, this looks ske super sketchy, dude." So first of all, should people do guest posts and, you know, follow up to that? What are your thoughts on 
that what, what happened with that incident. Yeah, I, I'm so glad that uh, you brought this up because I definitely have thoughts. To answer the first question, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah we'll take it slow. Uh, I definitely think companies should guest post. I mean, HubSpot, HubSpot still guest posts. Um, we also accept guest post submissions on our site. Uh, the key, and this probably won't surprise you given kind of how I've talked about our process um, so far is it needs to be very strategic. So don't just guest post because everyone else is guest posting and you think, oh, like I'll get a link or I'll, you know, raise my company's visibility. No, it, it needs to be ultra targeted and you need to have an intention in mind. Um, so if you can't summarize the reason that you are uh, publishing a piece on someone else's website in like one or two words, then pause and maybe don't move forward until you can. Um, so to give you an example of something that, you know, a, a valuable guest post for HubSpot, um, maybe we can publish a guest post on a software evaluation blog that lets us reach a really valuable audience to us, someone who's evaluating software. And maybe we can get a couple backlinks to our product pages. Those backlinks are really hard to get. Um, so we should absolutely put the time into forming that relationship, doing outreach, writing the post. Um, so yeah, as with all things in marketing, know why you're doing it. Yeah, that totally makes sense. You know, um, and, and to the second question, uh, what what happened? What's your thoughts on what happened with SEM Rush and selling selling post spots, guest post spots? I, I I have to give a disclaimer. I use SEM Rush. I like the product a lot. I've spoken with some of their team members and really like the team. Uh, I think this was a, a misstep for the company. Uh, and I think they got in trouble because they were selling guest posts on other people's websites. So, yeah. And, and where people quickly caught on to, first of all, Google has said explicitly you shouldn't pay for links on other people's sites. So this kind of, which is a little bit of a like, mm, I don't want to say Google is like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but like SEOs are like, oh yeah, okay. Um a little bit of an unspoken norm in the industry. So this was, this was, um, this was poking the dragon. Um, and then also people started, they, they looked at the two case studies that SEMrush had as like, oh, these are like, you know, the types of websites you could get guest posts on. Domain Authority 85, Domain Authority 92. And someone went to those websites and they're like, wait, these websites you can pay to have guest posts on. Like they'll take basically a hundred bucks for any post. So what SEMrush was doing, the system that they had set up was you go to SEMrush, you pay them 500 bucks. They pay a freelancer to write a quick, probably not so well researched <laughs> post. Yeah, like I don't think this is going to be, you know, cream of the crop here. And then SEMrush pays this website, you know, a hundred of your... 500 to post it. It's not great. <laughs> I, I'm just really like something went on there. Like someone, a, a trial or an experiment accidentally got pushed live. Um, and we saw it when we weren't supposed to, or, uh, you know, someone who, who had an absent boss went rogue. I can't figure out what went wrong, but I have such a hard time imagining that like, 
people at the top of the company approved it. Then I'm curious about that because I saw that I saw that thread. It blew up on Twitter, and then people were like, "This is why you no follow all guest posts." Like, is that is that what you would suggest? Like, any guest post that you have should be no follow, or like, where are circumstances where like it's okay to add a follow link? Yeah, I think I think Google's also said, and maybe this is when John Mueller said this: like, all guest posts should be not no followed. Um, if you are posting content on someone else's website, you do not want them to no follow it because that weakens the strength of that backlink. And I, I personally don't believe in a blanket no follow policy. Um, I don't think that you will hurt your website by having um, follow links, uh, especially if the content is well-written and provides value. Um, so I, I do disagree with that policy. I think people get overly concerned, like all out of proportion to the actual harm of spammy exploitative links. Um, I think if you're Forbes and you realize that every single person getting <laughs> content to your author network right. is like, selling links for a thousand dollars on Upwork, That's then yeah, yeah, maybe consider a no follow policy. But the last, um, and that's really more of a um, dissuasion technique than anything to determine, uh, you know, if people think that they won't get the value of the link, maybe they're a little less likely to try to exploit the system. Um, but yeah, ever since Google said no follow is basically just a hint, we don't even know how strong that no follow signal really is. Um, so I, I feel like you're almost just like, it, it, it just feels silly to worry about it. And it totally makes sense. Like you talked about if the content is good and it and you're linking something, something relevant, right? It's not like out of the blue, then it it seems like it'll be it'll be fine. The other thing that that's something that Google has been really looking up to and just it became really hot in the past, you know, years or so where people are updating old content and uh, I interviewed somebody from Conversion Excel where Derek, that's all he did. And then he saw a big spike in traffic for that. What's your process for that? How do you, you know, how, how do you approach deleting, merging, redirecting old content so that it's fresh and you can get more bang for your buck for old pieces of content that are, are actually pretty good? Um, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, we actually also have someone dedicated full-time to historical optimization. Uh, and uh, one of the women that's still at HubSpot, now in a different job, kind of coined this practice or discovered how successful it was like eight years ago. So this is something that we've been doing at HubSpot and been able to like really iterate on for a long time. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of always been at the core of our blogging strategy. And we look at it from two perspectives. We have an automated report that automatically flags <coughs> content that um, is dropping week over week for more three or more timeframes out of the four <laughs> week to week comparisons. I struggle every time I try to explain this. Um, basically, it's just consistently dropping. And so we will pick uh, posts kind of from that pool, depending on that uh, Excel spreadsheet is actually sorted by MRR. We can see exactly how much post is driving um, 
So the higher revenue the post and the bigger the drop, the higher priority it becomes to historically optimize it. Exactly. So that's kind of, we call that like our defensive updates. We also do uh, like offensive or protective updates, um, which is posts that we have historically seen swing after a certain amount of time, like left fallow, we will strategically update them right before that fallow period should begin. Um, so, you know, if we know that for a particularly competitive keyword, a post tends to start falling on the SERPs after three months, then that post just automatically gets entered into the update schedule for every three months. That totally makes sense. Yeah, so cool that you can see the MRR for content. Like, I'm guessing that's what happens when you kind of move all your content to HubSpot, right? You can actually see, well, that blog post brought me this much revenue. That's powerful. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. People should be thinking more about it because, uh, you know, other people I talk to, which is not on that close loop uh, system, is that, you know, they're just looking at total traffic, which it, it's not a stronger signal than yet. Yeah, well, this 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 much this content brought us this much money. We need to set really fix this up. It's an incomplete. It's an incomplete way of assessing your content mm. because one of the other things I noticed when I um, joined the SEO team and started auditing all of our content was that we had some blog posts that drove a enormous amount of traffic. I'm talking like a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand organic sessions per month. Mm. So I mean, mm. that's like bigger than, you know, some small nations. Um, <laughs> they were so <laughs> irrelevant and they weren't generating any revenue. Uh, that's actually where the four buckets came from, the lead gen, et cetera, because it's like, okay, if it doesn't fit in these four buckets, it doesn't matter how much MSV we're chasing. It doesn't belong on our blog. In terms of updating, I'm curious, and this is something that when I asked Derek from Conversion Excel, they're still trying to figure out is how much how much do you change so that Google will be like, oh, I need to re-pick this up or I need to update this. How much do you delete? How much do you add? Like, do you uh, to make sure that it's relevant enough for for search engines to recrawl it and check it out? Um, it's a delicate balance. Uh, the the process for updating at HubSpot requires like three different tools because. You're looking at what queries are driving traffic to that post in Search Console and in Ahrefs. And then you're also trying to find complementary keywords that you can target newly. Um, and you're trying to figure out what do the other pages have that we don't? You know, Is there some sort of content edge that we can try to we can try to close that gap by, you know, doing whatever they're doing, but better. So if they have like, you know, a bunch of statistics, should we add a bunch of statistics? Um, so it definitely changes for every page. I always recommend not just for updating content, but for most things in SEO, like be conservative. It is a lot easier to delete a little bit or delete nothing and only add them to like scrap the whole post and start to get it, you know, like after your traffic just goes like, eh, you know, down to the, to the right. Um, so typically I would say there's maybe some deletion, like if a section, uh, is out of date or just doesn't belong in the piece, um, then we would cut it, but it's more about adding um 
finding new ways to uh, like visualize the information for the reader, um, changing stats if those have kind of gotten too old to be helpful. Um, we do a lot around uh, featured snippet optimization. So we figured out specific ways to organize and place and write content so that it's likelier to win the featured snippet. So often it, when we're going in and updating a post, there will be featured snip, snippets on some of the SERPs that it's ranking on that didn't exist when we originally wrote it or when we last updated it. So then it's adding those featured snippet grabs. How do you do, how do, you do that? I'm really curious. Like, <laughs> I know you talked to Barry Swartza a little bit about that, uh, featured snippets. How do you, you know, when you update the content, make, uh, it kind of increase your chance of being that snippet that's featured when somebody's looking for those specific keywords? There are a few things that we have noticed about winning featured snippets. The first, um, and this might be obvious, but I'll say it anyways, always match the format of the snippet that's currently showing up. So if you're seeing a bulleted list, use a bulleted list. If you're seeing a paragraph, use a paragraph. If you're seeing a table, use a table. Um, you know, don't try to get fancy. You know what works, now just copy it. Um, making sure that the information that you're presenting can fit neatly within that bulleted list. Um, or paragraph is also really helpful. So you can check out like the average length of featured snippets for each snippet type and just do like a quick uh, word count check in whatever tool you're using to write to make sure that, that it'll fit perfectly. Um, I would say putting your featured snippet grabs, those little sections that you want to appear in the snippet at the top of the page because that tends to... Uh, tell Google like this information is a little more important than the things that are lower down. Um, so that, that's a good tip. Um, although now I don't know if you saw this, but, but Google is doing a new thing where if you click on the featured snippet, it'll take you directly to the section of the page oh, that snippet that's cool. comes from. Yeah. Like highlighted. Yeah. So half of me wonders like, well, maybe we should try moving, you know, on a subset of blog posts our featured snippet in the, grabs yeah. down to the bottom of the page. So it goes there. So that people, you know, yeah. go to the bottom. Yeah, yeah. We're going to call it the actionist. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I don't know. It's always really hard to do A-B tests with, uh, you know, any action from the SERPs because you can't actually do 50-50 split. Um, but, um, yeah, those are probably the top three. I, I do see uh, a lot of featured snippets are kind of pulled um, automatically, like Google will just take uh, all the H2s and turn them into that list. Yeah, but I would say, you know, make it as easy as possible. What we do is we'll just put like a little um, table of contents at the top of a post that is that bulleted list of all the sections. And they also have jump links so that like the reader, if they're, you know, they know they're immediately interested in tip number four, they can zoom down to tip number four. But that also gives us a way to kind of present our content tailor-made for the snippet. Thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm yeah. starting to, to wrap up. And you know, one of the questions I love asking is if you have one or two pieces of advice to marketers uh, about content or SEO or anything you, you really want to give an advice on, what would be those one or two pieces of advice? I saw this uh, in, in your list of questions and 
did not <laughs> take the time to consider it in the way that I should. Because um, I feel like one of the things that I've hit on a lot throughout the interview is be really intentional. Um, don't necessarily listen to what people are doing on Twitter or, you know, the, the latest like SEO posts, make sure it makes sense for your business and that it's going to have a lot of value for you. Um, so I would probably, you know, get that in there one more time because it's something I really believe. And it's a lesson that I had to learn the hard way. Um, and then another piece of advice, I don't know. I think, I think that maybe this is a reminder for myself too, but don't stop having fun. Like, I feel like the people who are the most successful are the ones who are still having fun, even, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years. Like, they're like, what if we tried this? You know, this could be a totally crazy idea. Or I, I just learned about this and I really want to give it a go. Um, that almost flies in the face of my first point. But maybe what you need to do is be really strategic with 90% of what you do and then leave 10% carved out for all the fun, wacky, experimental stuff you want to run. One final question, you know, where can people find out more about you and your work online? You do want them to follow you on Twitter? Do you have like, what? this is your time to give out your call to action. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, definitely follow me on Twitter. I'm Asia Vu, so that's A-J-A-B-U-U. Um, you can also find me on my website, which is asiafrost.com. And if folks want to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, please do so. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Asia. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Well, that was it for this episode. Oh, man, I was just blown away. There were just, just so many takeaways from this episode that I, I couldn't do justice with. I love how far Asia goes into the details that, you know, that I, I kept thanking her for really getting that far. If you haven't done so already, I really do encourage you, download that free grow cheat sheet that I put together, all the actionable tips that Asia provides in this episode in a one-page PDF. Why, why take notes? Why go back and like, oh, what did she say there and there? I actually put that all together in this PDF that you can download for free and just take it away from me. Go to growtoday.fm forward slash 98 to get it now. There will be a box there to download that free resource. All you need to do is provide me an email address and I will email that to you. You can also find that link in the description of the show. Now, before I go, I just want to thank the sponsor for this episode, Superside, built for marketing, creative, product design, and strategy teams. Superside makes it easy to bring your ideas to life. With a dedicated team assigned to all subscription customers, Superside delivers game-changing design at lightning fast speeds with no pricing surprises. Create an account and get started or better yet, book a demo to see it in action at superside.com. You can also find the link in the description of this episode. I'd love for you to support me as well. There's three easy ways to do that. First, you can tell a friend about this podcast. This is how podcasts grow. It's when somebody who finds value out of it, tell a friend about it, whether that's through email, through face-to-face -face, or Twitter or LinkedIn, I really do appreciate that. Second, you can join the Grow Today mailing list where I provide the cheat sheet that I've talked about directly to you each and every episode so you don't have to continue to download it again. I'll, I'll email it to you already. And third, support me at Patreon for as little as $2 per episode. For each time you support me, what happens is that you get an ad-free version of each podcast, you get exclusive content, but you also get each podcast episode a day before everybody else. You, you get part of this private podcast stream where the each episode will appear a day before everybody else and with your support just two dollars each and ep every episode 
with your support that's only two dollars per episode that's like a coffee per week i can pay for my hosting fees marketing tools so i can get more amazing guests that you and i can learn from you can go to patreon.com forward slash grow today or find the link in the description well that's it for this episode until the next one this is your host ramley john keep safe and as always keep on growing Passion.